This is the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. Good afternoon, Jane McNaughton here with you this Friday. Coming up, farmers have welcomed the news that the ACCC will conduct an inquiry into Australia's supermarket sector, including the difference between farm gate prices and what people are paying at the checkout. We'll hear from the ACCC about how this will operate. And for a few members of our Victorian ag community, it's a day worth celebrating. That's because they've been nominated for Australia Day honours, recognising their contributions to our rural and regional communities. So we'll hear from some recipients about why they're so passionate about agriculture. And as always, we'd love to know what you're up to today and what you think about what we're talking about on the Country Hour on 0467842722. Dave got in early from Punka. Good afternoon. 21 millimetres in Punka, making that 177 mils for January. Uh, Dave also says, happy Australia Day to the Bureau of Meteorology. As farmers, let's celebrate this national asset, not bash it. The staff do a great job and our humble meteorologists are not gods. They can't predict what's going to happen in your paddock, but they do a great job and get it right most of the time. It's dangerous trend when society disregards experts and scientists and it's easy to disparage the bomb from the comfort of one's armchair. Thank, Thank you, Dave, for that. Well, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission will conduct an inquiry into Australia's supermarket sector, including the pricing practices of supermarkets and the relationship between wholesale and retail prices. Treasurer Jim Chalmers will direct the ACCC to conduct the 12-month review, which will investigate the difference between farm gate prices and what we pay at the checkout. Here's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announcing this at the National Press Club yesterday. And today I announce that the Treasurer will be directing the ACCC to conduct a 12-month price inquiry into the supermarket industry. The ACCC has significant powers and it is the best and most effective body to investigate supermarket prices, to look at how things like online shopping, loyalty programs and changes in technology are impacting competition in the industry. And to examine the difference between the price paid at the farm gate and the prices that people are paying at the checkout. For me, it's this simple. When farmers are selling their product for less, supermarkets should be charging Australians at the checkout less. Today I also announce that the government will fund consumer organisation choice to provide shoppers with a clear understanding of how supermarkets are performing on this score. Because across thousands of products it can be hard for people to find the best deal. We are backing Choice, renowned for their commitment to consumer fairness, to provide clear and regular information on prices across a basket of goods. This will promote transparency, enhance competition and drive value. These actions send a very... National Farmers Federation President and Wimmera Grain and Livestock Farmer David Joe Hinkey has welcomed the inquiry, but he says a long-term whole-of-supply-chain solution is needed from the inquiry, not just a silver bullet aimed at the major supermarkets. We welcome that the ACCC has been invited to have this inquiry, noting that 
Jim Chalmers is the only person in Australia who can give the ACCC what they call a Section 95 authority to actually go in and get the real information that we're seeking and um, hopefully from that make some changes where it needs to make them and that's going to be along the whole supply chain. When we talk about supermarkets, yes, they're important. Yes, they are concentrated within Australia and yes, they need to be investigated. But the whole story goes beyond that and we've just got to be careful not to try to find a silver bullet solution to this big issue of how do we ensure that we've got food security at a affordable price for the rest of the next decade, if not more so. Um, and that has to be done in a strategic manner. So does the fact that the ACCC now needs to be involved suggest that the Food and Grocery Code of Conduct wasn't up to scratch? Well, we've said for a very long time that the recommendations out of the last review into the food and grocery code should have been taken up by previous governments. That hasn't been the case. And one of those key recommendations is to make it a mandatory code. But that's not, once again, going to solve the price of food across the board. It just makes that negotiation between the supplier and the retailer a bit more transparent and on a longer term contract basis, but it still doesn't even cover spot pricing contract or spot pricing sales. So there's a lot of gaps there that need to be solved. The grocery code is only one link in a very long chain. And what we want is a whole of supply chain investigation. And it has been mooted that it goes to looking at how do is there a price discrepancy to what farmers receive and what consumers pay? That's the kind of conversation we want to understand. We want transparency around that and we want the ability then for farmers and consumers to be able to make informed decisions about how they both spend their money or spend their time to either grow the produce or buy the produce in a informed manner. Do you think there's any particular sectors within agriculture that are going to benefit from this specifically? Oh, there's no doubt that the fresh food market is definitely um, one of the most vulnerable production services that that will benefit from this because quite frankly when you've got a perishable good you are forced into scenarios of selling to in, in a scenario where the supply and demand equation doesn't allow you to try to find a better solution so yes fresh food will benefit from this investigation however other products like the meat industry and even um, the processing industries in general need to be investigated to make sure that we are getting the most efficient system possible for Australians. Do you think this will potentially expose some of the problems with contracts between major supermarkets and smaller scale growers, for example? Well, hopefully the terms of reference does cover those scenarios. And once again, hearing the announcements, great. We just, the devil's always in the detail. So we are hoping that it does go down to that level of um, investigation. But we are always concerned that farmers uh, have, haven't got the ability to negotiate against larger organisations within that supply chain that can basically either make you take it or leave it or give you a few other options to be able to get your food to market. So for us, yes, we want to make sure that as many aspects of, once again, the supply chain are covered and those circumstances where farmers are getting a raw deal, those can be exposed. And if it's a contractual agreement, that those contracts can be more favourable for producers. But if it's a um, if it's a quality or if it's a, a specifications issue that we can both have different avenues to sell this produce or even to the fact that consumers 
can have a choice between if they want to have a standard supermarket product or a, uh, or an item that's smaller or larger than that because it's still good food and can still be consumed, but it may not be to a certain specification or standard. You're listening to the Victorian Country Hour. Jay McNaughton is my name. I'm speaking with the president of the National Farmers Federation, David Joe Hinkey. This is a 12-month inquiry. There's farmers right now who are struggling to get by. There's also people not being able to afford food in the supermarkets. So is 12 months too long? Once again, this is the, the dilemma we sit in. Everyone's wanting a silver bullet solution that they can click their fingers and will solve this overnight. Unfortunately, that's not on the agenda and that, that's not going to happen. What we've got is a long-term issue that needs a long-term strategy to solve it. Any short-term solutions will not get the long-term effect that we want. So unfortunately, I can't foresee the prices of food um, being remedied by this in within the 12 months, but it hopefully we'll start by having that conversation, making people more aware of where does your food come from when you purchase food, who are you supporting, and then more so, what, what are you actually buying? What is the value of that produce that you're, you're purchasing? In the rural sector, we've been speaking about price discrepancies for a while, but the fact that this is now on the Prime Minister's agenda and has been making national news headlines for the last few weeks, how does that make you feel? Look, this is really good news in the sense that finally we've been able to get some cut through and for people to understand that this isn't easy fix problem or a or a, an issue that's just related to farmers that this has been a ongoing battle and has caused great frustration throughout the agricultural sector for and, and communities for a very long time so to have it front and center with the leader of australia is good news for us now we need to make sure this is done in the best possible terms of reference to make sure that we're not leaving anyone behind in this conversation and that we don't rush to try to have a silver bullet fix. Once again, there's some systemic long-term issues that some are very boring and uh, straightforward, such as just getting decent roads so we can get product to and from farms, making sure we've got electrical infrastructure to ensure that our refrigerated supply chain isn't doubling its cost of uh, refrigeration on a on you know every two to three years these are some basic things that need to happen to ensure that uh, our food prices are both uh, kept low but also our supply chains are most efficient and from that we are very thankful that we we're front and center but it's been a long time coming the frustrations out there and we want to make sure we get action out of uh, this inquiry National Farmers Federation President David Joe Hinkey there. So what will this inquiry involve and how thorough will it be? Deputy Chair of the ACCC's Mick Keogh and I spoke to him a little bit earlier. I asked what the process of this examination would be. We are still to formally receive the notice but uh, normally we would expect that on receipt of the notice we would set up a team that would work on the project we would usually release an issues paper identifying the, the key issues we want to hear from people about, and that would create the opportunity for submissions from a, a wide range of different interest groups. At the same time, we would probably start identifying what we think the key markets are that we want to have a look at, and uh, then we would progress to issuing notices seeking specific information from particular parties. They then have an opportunity time frame to compile the information and respond to us. That 
may be repeated. We may we may go to a second request for information, and then we would start. We have a fairly well credentialed uh, special data unit that is very adept at putting all that information together and making sense of it. And uh, from there, we would start analysing and. Uh, it's forecast that we would produce an interim report sometime during the middle of the year and then a final report just after the end of the year. So it's quite a detailed and involved process, but uh, one we think that is very useful in terms of getting to the bottom of what's going on in uh, a range of different supply chains. One of the supply chains, obviously, is the relationship between farmers and the supermarkets. So will farmers be able to give evidence or submit documents to the inquiry anonymously, potentially? Because we know there's obviously commercial risk for farmers if they uh, do speak out against the supermarkets. Uh, yeah, one of the advantages, again, of the way this inquiry will operate is we have complete ability to retain confidentiality over any of the information we're provided with. So that is very important in terms of reassuring anyone who wants to provide us with information or submit documents that uh, we can and uh, regularly do. We do these inquiries on a routine basis and there is quite strong confidentiality obligations on us to the extent that we can potentially end up having to go to jail if uh, we uh, you know, release the information which we shouldn't. So um, that provides some assurance that uh, if people do want to submit information confidentiality, in confidentially, that will be respected. You mentioned earlier some of the powers that the ACCC has in an inquiry like this. Will you be asking to look at the contracts and pay negotiations between the supermarkets and individual farmers? We haven't uh, got to the detail yet, but uh, typically, uh, uh, well, to give you an example, in 2018, we conducted a detailed inquiry into the dairy industry, and that's precisely what it involved. It involved looking at all the contractual arrangements between suppliers and dairy processors, um, getting to the bottom of exactly what prices were being paid for milk and how the contracts were structured, where the risk was and uh, coming to some conclusions out of that. So that's what we've done in the past in these sort of inquiries and it would be likely we would head in that direction, I suspect. A key part of this inquiry has been the concern from not only consumers but also farmers about the disparity between what farmers are getting at the farm gate and what consumers are paying at the checkout. So how will you be navigating that part of the investigation? Uh, well, we the powers that we have under the inquiry mean we can seek information from a range of parties. So it wouldn't necessarily just be the supermarkets. Uh, for example, uh, it may extend to wholesalers in the fruit and vegetable sector. It may extend to uh, abattoirs and processors in the red meat sector. So it, it gives us a fairly wide discretion. And we have to be careful because we don't want to subject people to unnecessary and, and bureaucratic process. But if we need the information to uh, understand absolutely what's happening in a particular supply chain, the reference we have from the government uh, provides us with those powers. So we have heard from the National Farmers Federation saying that they do want uh, a broader scope than the supermarkets going down into those supply chains. So it does sound like that is exactly what's going to happen. 
Well, I, th I think, yes, it's quite important. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the fundamental questions being asked are whether there is proper competition on the supply side. So in other words, are farmers and other suppliers um, being treated fairly in their dealings with supermarkets in providing products for the supermarkets to sell? And then on the other side, are supermarkets reasonably pricing those goods for consumers or, or are consumers getting taken advantage of? So both those ends of supply chains need to be looked at to get a full picture of what's happening. I think that's quite important. On that point, different commodity groups have different supply chain challenges. So how will the inquiry handle uh, the meat industry, for example, versus horticulture? Uh, absolutely. We, we need to, it's not, uh, I mean, I'll, we often speak of the supermarket sector, but uh, as everyone knows, uh, you know, sometimes they have eight or 10,000 different product lines. Um, the main ones from the agricultural perspective are obviously the meat and the fruit and vegetables, and they are dramatically different supply chains. And we're well aware of that. We've done a lot of work over the years. Uh, we have the horticulture code we look after. We have the food and grocery code we look after. We have the dairy code that we look after. So we have pretty good expertise in the very different natures of those different supply chains. And that means we won't take a blanket approach. It means we will look at those different supply chains uniquely and make sure we understand and get to the bottom of what's happening in them. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. Jane McNaughton is my name. I'm speaking with the Deputy Chair of the ACCC, Mick Keogh. Now, Mick, the ACCC's inquiry into the supermarket sector is separate to the government's recently announced review of the Voluntary Food and Grocery Code of Conduct, but you still have a pretty significant role promoting compliance there. So for those who don't know much about the Grocery Code, can you please just briefly explain what it is and how it's different to this inquiry? Well, the Food and Grocery Code is a voluntary code that was introduced in 2015 in response to a number of issues that arose with supermarkets at that time, including as a result of prosecution by the ACCC. It governs how the contractual arrangements should be negotiated and resolved between suppliers to supermarkets and supermarkets themselves. So it puts a code of conduct, if you like, across how um, the buyers that work with the supermarkets should be dealing with and making clear what the arrangements are with their suppliers. It's voluntary in a sense that retailers can choose to sign up to it and be bound by it or, or not. At this stage, all the major retailers in Australia are bound by it, but because it's voluntary, it doesn't have any penalty or strong enforcement associated with it. So we do check compliance with it, we make sure the um, required records are being retained and that the appropriate documentation is around, but there's not much we can do beyond that in terms of enforcing it. And, and so the review of the Food and Grocery Code is essentially looking at whether that code has improved the behaviour of supermarkets towards their suppliers, whether the measures in it are appropriate and whether it's strong enough. Our inquiry goes well beyond that because, uh, as I said, we, we, we want to look in great detail at the pricing right through the supply chain. The Food and Grocery Code doesn't really address the issue of pricing. That's, uh, that's separate from the nature of the contracts that people are entered into. So this is complementary in many respects because it, it could well be that 
for example, changes to the Food and Grocery Code might be recommended as a result of what we see in looking in detail at the um, pricing and margins through the supply chain. Mick Keogh, thank you very much for your time on the Country Hour today. Thank you. That's Deputy Chair of the ACCC, Mick Keogh there. What do you think? Will this inquiry make a difference to the prices farmers are receiving for their goods and uh, the service that they provide our community. It's 0467 842 is the text line. Uh, Chris doesn't think so. Chris says, uh, Hi Jane, an ACCC inquiry into supermarkets will just be another waste of money. Farmers have been getting a raw deal over meat for a long time now and nothing has happened to solve it. This inquiry will go the same way. Thank you for your text, Chris. And as always, happy to get some uh, rainfall totals here on the Country Hour. Robin Chilton, good afternoon. Uh, you've got, uh, Rob's got 4.5, but would have liked some more. 0467 842 722. The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. Where it is 25 past 12, Jane McNaughton is my name. Prices were up at yesterday's calf sales in Bansdale, with strong competition between buyers bidding for around 3,000 cattle. Buyers paid an average of $4.15 a kilo for Angus Weiner steers, with some going for more than $5 a kilo. South Gippsland cattle trader Wayne Osborne says while prices were still lower than the same time last year, they were an improvement on the rock-bottom prices seen a few months ago. What brings you to the wiener markets here today, Wayne? Uh, well, today we've started our, our buying season, so we've started our kill process, and, uh, and it's now time for us to start to restock. Talk me through the, the buying season and the kill process. Uh, well, we try to, to line the two as much as we can to overcome market fluctuations, and uh, it's a case of we... We usually can't get kill space until the start of January because we're competing against uh, the the, uh, the cattle coming out of New South Wales. So uh, now that we're getting to late January, we, we start our, our replacement process, um, which is why we're here today. And uh, the cattle are excellent here today, and yeah, there's some good quality steers to be bought. What have you been in the market for? Oh, we're looking for an animal that uh, is weighing around the 400 kilo mark. Um, uh, we we do look to particular bloodlines. Um, but we're mostly looking to Angus steers, but we do do some Herefords as well. Have you made some buyers today? Yeah, we've purchased a total of 100 and, uh, 151 head today, so they're headed off to South Gippsland this evening. Are you out at other markets at the moment? Yeah, we have a buyer at, uh, at Pakenham today, and we'll have a buyer in, uh, in the northeast uh, this week as well. How many cattle are you looking to buy as you restock? Oh, we'll be looking for about two and a half to 3,000 head. There's several farms involved in the whole enterprise uh, scattered throughout Victoria, predominantly in South Gippsland, but also also in the northeast Victoria. How is the market going at the moment? Uh, well, today it's been very strong on the on the 300 kilo steers. Uh, they're, they're, you're paying as much for them as you are for a 400 kilo beast. Um, but generally, it's been a, a significant improvement in in the store price since November last year, um, which has been very good for the producers. It, Times got very tough there in October, November, um, and uh, and now we're, now we're starting to see some improvement in the kill price as well. What prices have you been seeing? I've got a whole oh, list here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so for about a 400 kilo animal, they're paying about about 15.50 here today. 
Um, for, for a 300 kilo Angus steer, you're paying around the 1300 to 1350. There has been some, uh, some uh, very high prices up to 1500, 1550. How does that compare with last year when we saw prices drop pretty significantly? Still not as high as what it was this time last year, but for instance, uh, on a, uh, a 300 kilo steer in October, you, you know, if you could get 900 to 1000 dollars, you're doing well. Now you're getting anywhere from 13 to 1500 dollars. Now that's still a fair step down from this time last year. You're getting about 21, 2200 dollars. So um, it's still a fair step down, but it's a good improvement. Uh, and where do your cattle end up? Where does the meat end up? Uh, our, our markets are all predominantly export markets or high-end uh, domestic markets. Um, a lot of it ends up in the US, but we, we're a grass-fed operation, so we're looking at the, the upper-end restaurants and supermarkets, mostly in the US, but also China. So keeping an eye on US markets then? Yes, we keep an eye on what their, what their uh, slaughter rates are and what their yields have been out of corn and, uh, and what, what numbers they have on feed at the time, throughout the year. Um, that we're hoping that's going to work to our favour this year. Uh, they've slaughtered a lot of cattle, particularly a lot of their, their, their breeding herd, so we're hoping that's going to play to our advantage over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, the US market had a few troubles last year. There was a bit of drought, and I think the, the grain season's not been going too well. That's correct, yeah. As I, as I understand it, they've, they've come through uh, the, the, the real heart country of the mid, Midwest has suffered through drought, uh, and that's played on into their, their corn harvests, uh, which affects the number of cattle they're, they're carrying through their feedlots, particularly in Texas and Colorado. So good news for you then? Fingers crossed, good news for us. <laughs> yes, that's right. South Gippsland cattle trainer, trader Wayne Osborne speaking there with Fiona Broom. Seems like a pretty happy chappy there, didn't he, Wayne? Uh, on the text line, which is 0467842722, Tom in Bendigo uh, is letting us know that there was 13 mils of rain in Bendigo. Thank you for that. And Stewie at Katupna sent me through a picture of him, Kelly, uh, Kelly chaining some canola stubble after seven mils of rain overnight. Love to hear from you. We'll obviously uh, chat to the Weather Bureau shortly. Uh, if you want a personalised forecast, always you can do that too. 0467 842 is the number to get us on. But for now, it's rural news. Good afternoon, Angus Burley. G'day, Jane. There's been some big rain across northern Australia this week and at Birundudu Station in the Northern Territory, it's now resembling an inland sea. The remote property is completely cut off, with the homestead now surrounded by flood water as far as the eye can see. Station manager Jordan Perry says they've had around 350 millimetres and his young family could be waiting weeks for the water to recede. We went for a fly yesterday. I think we worked out we've got uh, 15 k's of water laying back to the east and then we've got yeah 10 k's of water laying back to the west of the homestead. Um, we've, we've got about 20, 25 k's of water laying to the north of the homestead and... Um, yeah, it's sort of it's about fifty k's of sort of Sturt Creek that runs back to the to the southwest is all full all the way through into Gordon Downs. So yeah, just on a little little island at home that they picked the right spot, that's for sure. A shearing school in Western Australia's southwest is trying to entice more young people into the industry to bolster the domestic workforce. And it's attracting people like Jack Rice, who says it has helped him turn his life around. So I'm a fully qualified chef and then I moved down because I was unfortunate to be on the streets. 
for about three years. And then I moved down to Narangarup. I was doing mulesing in the off-season in winter. My contractor for mulesing is a, he's a really good shearer and he had his own shearing run and stuff and his sister-in-law. His missus's mum is a contractor. So then he got me a job with him and then ever since then I've thoroughly enjoyed working with livestock and animal and sheep. It was something new and it's great. It's enjoyable. The very best of the nation's cowgirls and cowboys have converged on Tamworth for the ABCRA's 2024 National Finals Rodeo. The action runs through to tomorrow night with more than 100 junior competitors among the crowd. Lara Webster went along to meet some of the next generation of up-and-comers, including 15-year-old bull rider Bailey Searle. I was second in the steer ride and second in the bull ride as well this morning. Um, yeah, that's, I missed my breakaway calf, but come back tomorrow and yeah. You've still done pretty well. Tell us a little bit about you, Bailey. Where did this all start? Um, well, it started in Goulburn. Um, I grew up in Goulburn. Started getting on potty calves when I was little and just looked up to Dad and I was off from there. Dad was a bull rider for many years. He qualified for the finals 17 times, I think, and rode bulls and bareback horses. So big inspiration. Yeah, yeah, I look up Dad a lot. Tasmania's mountain ash is the biggest flowering plant in the world. Brett Mifsud has travelled to Tasmania for 30 years to find these giants and assess their health. He fears more frequent bushfires mean this could be the last generation of trees to reach this size. In 2019, dry lightning strikes in the R Valley ignited a fire, couldn't be put out, and the end result of that after a month of burning was that 15 of the largest 25 trees in Australia, mostly species of, of eucalyptus regnans, were killed. And a farmer in South Australia has used his tractor's GPS system to turn his paddock patriotic, with a map of Australia ploughed into the dirt. Harrison Schuster farms at Freeling and has been trialling using his tractor and GPS to draw pictures in his paddocks with the sunflower last year making it all the way to Google Earth. Mr Schuster told Brooke Neindorf this latest work of art took some preparation. Most of the, um, the time was in the prep work leading up to it. It was actually yeah, almost a hobby, experimenting with um, turning an image into something you can follow on the tractor GPS screen by hand. Just a few hours, some nights after work. Before I started, it was a, a bare paddock, and then the lines are just uh, tilled, um, tilled ground. You cannot tell from the, from the road. It's, um, it's very, uh, yeah, the perspective just doesn't do it justice from the road. It just looks like a, a bit of a scramble out in the paddock of what's going on here. Definitely peaks the curiosity. Yeah, you can only really get a true um, sense of scale once you're up in the air. So who took the photo up in the air? My brother. Yeah, so he, he flew in a neighbour's plane um, probably two hours after, after I was tilled it in, just before sunset. And it, yeah. what's, what's the next picture going to be, Harrison? I'm not sure. I've got some plans, but, yeah, I figured... This time, yeah, it's just a perfect sort of um, perfect coincidence to get a hobby, the right paddock size, a um, and the flag, the best best place on earth. And Jane, that's it for rural news. Thank you, Angus. If you'd like to have a look at that picture, it is actually quite extraordinary of the Australia map uh, in the paddock. You can head online to abc.net.au forward slash rural. Uh, there's a lovely article there with all the pictures in it as well. Uh, 
24 minutes, sorry, my math was not doing me favours there, 24 minutes to the news at one o'clock. We're now joined by Stephanie Miles, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon. Hi, Jane. How are you going? Not too bad. Uh, The weather doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to do in Ballarat. How's the rest of the state looking? (laughs) Yeah, look, uh, I mean, it's a little bit more settled across the state. Uh, The weather system that brought most of that rain the last couple of days has moved off into the Tasman Sea and we've been replaced by a bit of a high-pressure system that's over us. So bringing some cooler southwesterlies across the state, which is a bit nice after we've had you know, some humid weather or so. But we are seeing a couple of showers remaining just on and south of those ranges. Not really much in them, though, Jane. From about 9 a.m., we've only really had around 2 to 5 millimetres. Up to Yarragon South, got the 5 millimetres. But it's mostly in that southwestern parts of Gippsland. North of the ranges remain quite dry with, uh, you know, just partly cloudy afternoon uh, ahead of us. But those temperatures around the state are a lot cooler. So those places on and south of the ranges, anywhere in the low 20s, uh, you know, mid to low 20s. And then those places north of the ranges, a bit bit warmer in the mid to high 20s. But look, looking into the outlook into the weekend, we will see those drier conditions really push through tomorrow on Saturday. We've got, you know, partly cloudy across the state with those showers just remaining maybe on the very southern parts of our state. And those temperatures starting to climb a little bit, still around the mid-20s in the south and a little bit higher in the north. But by about Sunday, Monday, still got that ridge over us and those temperatures climbing. But by Monday, we've got up to about 38 degrees in Mildura. So the temperatures will start to climb over the next couple of days. And then by Tuesday, we've got our next ridge coming again. So mostly settled, uh, settled conditions continuing from Tuesday. A couple of showers on the south of the ranges and more cloudy conditions. But those places north of the ranges remaining sunny and those temperatures remaining in like, you know, the high to mid-30s in the north and you know mid to high 20s in the south. So look, it's quite settled for the next week, Jane. I think that was probably pretty welcome after a few weeks of uh, chaos (laughs) coming from the skies. So thank you very much for your time this afternoon, Steph. Thanks, Jane. Have a good afternoon. You too. Stephanie Miles there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. On ABC Radio Victoria, this is the Victorian Country Hour. Now, for a few members of our Victorian agriculture community... It's a day worth celebrating. That's because they've been nominated for Australia Day honours, recognising their contributions to our rural and regional communities. Dr Jan Tennant is a non-executive director at APALM Animal Health. Dr Tennant's APM Animal Health. Dr Tennant's career has taken her from the lab to the farm gate, where she's helped connect the worlds of animal health research, agriculture and business. I was lucky that my PhD research uh, took me to Sweden where I was doing some postdoctoral work for three years at the University of Umeå, about 700 kilometres north of Stockholm. And the work that we were doing there was to understand how bacteria were able to attach to the epithelial cells within the human body. And I worked on that for three years with the goal of understanding what it was that made those bacteria a risk and a problem for for humans. When I returned to Australia at the end of that postdoctoral research, I was fortunate enough to um, begin work with the CSIRO in, in its division of animal health. And the particular project that I got to work on was an infection of cows' eyes called pink eye, which many uh, face of your listeners will be very familiar with. It's a very common um, problem here in Australia, particularly amongst our um, white-faced cattle, subject to a lot of wind and a lot of solar assault in their eyes. 
And so it was my science that got me, my human health science that got me into animal health science. So it's not the case that, you know, you grew up on a farm or kind of had been interacting with a lot of producers before that research project, so you really just dived in. That's absolutely true, but it was working with CSIRO was that fascinating um, interface between the science and the laboratory and the producers. So what I learned in those early days was to actually listen and learn and understand what the producers' issues were, what were the challenges that they were dealing with on their farms and in their production um, systems and setups that were actually causing, um, you know, points of stumble, I suppose, just to, to put it simply. But things that were um, reducing productivity, that were impacting negatively animal welfare, um, all of those sorts of things. And so I learnt to understand why research was important and why also applied research was the important thing to be doing to understand the question that needed a solution and then go back to the lab design the work in such a way that the outcomes had more likelihood of being positive and beneficial to the end users, both the the animals themselves directly, but also to the to the farmers and to the producers. You wear a bunch of different, or you have worn a bunch of different hats, and one of them is APM. So, so what services does APM provide? APM is one of Australia's leading rural veterinary businesses. We have around about 80 sites around Australia, um, including um, mostly, in fact, veterinary clinics. We have over 330 uh, experienced veterinarians as part of our team of over 1,200 professionals. The veterinary clinics deal uh, not only with production animals, uh, but also with domestic pets. And I include in that cats, dogs and horses. But in the production side, we look at dairy, beef, uh, equine, sheep and pigs as well. So we're, we're talking with you, Jen, because you've been nominated for an Australia Day honour. So, yeah, how, how did you respond when, when you heard the news? I was extremely excited. I was, I was overwhelmed, though, with the news because it was not something that I expected to ever achieve. And, and to be recognised is an extraordinary honour. For um, and I understand the citation is across contributions to both science and to business, and that made me immensely happy because I'd have to say at times over the last forty odd years it's sometimes been an uncomfortable place to be nestled um, with one foot on the science side and one foot in the business camp, but I think that's actually uh, those dual experiences of mine have given me an, uh, knowledge and insights to enhance the value that I can bring to the organisations that I work with, uh, work beside, um, advise in one capacity or another. So, uh, look, I was, I was tremendously excited. I might must say I think uh, the person I spoke with on the telephone might have thought I'd lost my mind there just for a moment um, <laughs> as I could uh, not speak uh, coherently for a couple of minutes. But uh, it was it was wonderful, very joyous and um to feel that uh, the contribution that I've made, and particularly to rural and regional Australia and uh, the efforts of the people who actually operate and work in those areas um, and that I have been able to contribute to improving their lot a little. That was APM Animal Health Non-Executive Director and now OIM recipient, Dr Jan Tennant, speaking there with Faith, Faith Tabaloujian. 
Also being recognised is Seymour local Dr Andrew Hogan, who served as a vet for more than four decades. We grew up on the outskirts of Bendigo uh, amongst farming land, but didn't have a farm ourselves. We just had a small quarter-acre block. And while we had mostly uh, pets at home, I also had time to visit. I had uncles with farms, uncles with property, so I saw livestock from that point of view in my holidays, which was always fun. I think, um, like a lot of my generation, we grew up uh, reading uh, James Herriot books and uh, watching uh, All Creatures Great and Small on the telly, and I suppose that's what um, set us on the tracks we're on, a lot of my generation. (laughs) You've stayed quite involved with different kind of agriculture, adjacent or agriculture-related groups. So what kind of work have you done with those kinds of organisations? Yeah, so I um, moved to Seymour in 1992 and pretty much within sort of a few months of getting there, I joined the committee of the Agricultural Society. My main tasks there initially were around the alpaca show. Seymour's sort of rural adjacent, if you like. We're a modest city um, in sort of farming land. So we saw a lot of the newer changes in agriculture come through. So we had a fair bit to do with uh, our uh, ostriches in the early days and then with alpaca. And I think because I was a, a bit interested in alpacas and doing a fair bit of alpaca work, I was happy to take over the, the organisation and then the running of the alpaca show within the Seymour show. So that was where I cut my teeth in the Ag Society. And it's not your everyday kind of, you know, farm animal. So in that way, would you say that you kind of acted as a bridge between, you know, Melbourne or an urban city like Melbourne and, you know, surrounding regional areas? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's one of the the main aims, the main remits of the um, Simoragan Pastoral Society um, is that link between the city and the rural we have a, a great little show each year with a, a whole range of rural aspects, if you like. Things have changed, though, over time. There used to be a very strong sheep show, but uh, Ovignoni's disease put pretty much paid to that. We still do shearing displays and we still do some smaller sheep presentations, but we don't have a full-out sheep show anymore. Um, we still do yard trial dogs. We do yard trial dogs. That's a big part of the show. We have a very strong alpaca show still and we frequently have a a goat show at the same time. A very strong horse show. Seymour, as you probably know, is a a very strong equine area. Not an aspect of the industry that we have very much to do with in Seymour Vet Surgery anyway. uh, We're largely pets plus cattle, uh, sheep, uh, alpacas and then the variety of everything else. When it comes to the shows, I'm assuming a lot of families come along. And um, But is it mainly families or are you finding that you're actually attracting some young people who are interested in the industry? I think a little bit of both. I think uh, the young people often come up through the, the livestock show aspects. So with the cattle, for example, there's young cattle handlers and so on through the egg societies uh, right across the country. That's a, a very big part of what we do. Seymour Alternative Farming Expo is another aspect of, of what we do, and we put on a lecture series uh, for the duration of the expo where we're introducing people of all ages and walks of life to farming, to agriculture, 
often a lot of the people that we that we're talking to and talking with are smallholders who see a tree change come up to the country and and get some livestock so so that's one of the large parts of what we do with the, with the farming expo for example and there is a little bit of a shortage of information that's very hands on that's very um, approachable yeah so it's great to be able to put something out there in a small lecture series. We often have livestock on hand to handle and so on and so forth. Yeah, so it's great to be part of that. And Andrew, an important question is, um, so you've been nominated for these Australia Day honours. So how how did you react when when you heard the news? Initially, I thought it might have been a scam. (laughs) (laughs) I feel a little overwhelmed, um, a little bit undeserving, to be honest, of an honour like that. Uh, when you see how many uh, other people have done such great things to be awarded such an honour. I feel that, yes, it's um, company that I'm not sure I <laughs> I deserve to be among, but I'm sure my mum will be proud. How lovely. That's very humble Seymour Vet and Medal of the Order of Australia recipient, Dr Andrew Hogan, speaking there with T- Faith Tabalugian. It is just coming on to 10 minutes to the news at nine. You're listening to the Victorian Country Hour. Jane McNaughton is my name. Now, Georgina Sarah Gubbins from Warrnambool has worn many hats over the years and today has been recognised for service to primary industry and to the local community. She was a founding member of Food and Fibre Great Southwest, Great South Coast, is a member of Sheep and Goat Identification Advisory Committee with the Victorian Government. She's been doing that since 2016. Uh, She was chair of the LAMEX 2020 and 2021 conferences. Uh, She was a committee member of the Southern Australian Livestock Research Council from 2016 to 2020. And... Uh, She's been a member of the Leadership Oversight Committee with Women in Water with the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning since 2019. And on top of that, a former bush nurse. And we welcome her to the Country Hour now. Good afternoon. Thank you, Jane. So you've been awarded a Medal of the Order of Australia for your service to primary industry and to the community. What makes you so passionate about agriculture? As a kid, I grew up on a farm and it for the girls and the family, it was never an opportunity for us to actually go farming. We were encouraged to get married. But when my marriage actually fell apart, it gave me the opportunity to go into agriculture. And I'm actually in agriculture by default because I wanted to keep my girls, I've got two girls, I wanted to keep continuity going for them because I felt that the marriage split up was very disruptive for them. So I took the reins on farm at Manaroo and realised that I needed to do a business course, did a business course. I was part of Grassland Society. They tapped me on the shoulder to run a conference and it's just rolled on from then. I'm not going to list every notoriety on your resume because we'd be here for a very long time, but how do you juggle so many positions over the years? I did a time management course very early on and I am very good at prioritising and planning. So if I've got a day that's chock-a-block full of stuff and something goes out the window, as in something wrong happens, I'm very good at thinking on my feet of what the priority should be and how we address that. So it's a matter of prioritising what you do, knowing what you can let go of at that instant and what's important to focus on in that instant. 
Why do you think it's so important to be involved in your local community? Um, well, I think the local community gives to us, so it's about giving back to the local community. Very simple answer there. <laughs> mm. I assume you've met some interesting people in your various roles. Uh, what are some of the highlights of some of the people you've met? I've, I've met positive influences and I've met ne- negative influences. And I suppose the thing is taking a bit of everything away from them to make yourself a better person, reflect on what you're doing, how they do it, how they do it better than you, how they chip for you for not doing it well. It's taking that all on board and just thinking about how you can do it better yourself. And then I also look at people that I really admire, like Taria Pitt, that has had crap thrown at her. And what an amazing story she is of how she's managed to overcome all that. And and another Paralympian, um, Emma Booth, who rides horses, how she's been able to, you know, get on top of her mind games and all that sort of thing and be able to achieve what she wants to do. They're, they're amazing people and whenever you're down, it's there's nothing more humbling than looking at people like that. It is funny, often when you speak with people who are incredibly successful, involved in the community, uh, get an Order of Australia medal, for example, they, they, they so often talk about other people. So is it nice to recognise your achievements today? It's very humbling to recognise my achievements, but the problem I see is that there are so many amazing people around me that have helped support me to help me achieve what has been achieved. So it's it's more about everyone and the amazing industry that I'm in that is so supportive and so helpful. As I mentioned earlier, you've had, you've worn many hats over a number of years. Is there a role in particular that you would say would, would have been one of your favourites? I think grasslands I really enjoyed because I sort of came from a very shy background where I didn't like, I I couldn't even public speak. I was so scared of it. Um, You know, I used to shake in my boots. Um, I couldn't sleep for a week coming up to it. So it gave me the first opportunity and pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And it's amazing how when you start pushing yourself out of the comfort zone, how much easier it gets. So... It, it's just one. I mean, Lamex has been fantastic to me. That was the first time I got up on stage and spoke in front of 600 people. There's just been a lot of, you know, things that have helped me along the way that I'm very appreciative of the opportunities I've been given. So, Georgina, this year there has been more women recognised as part of the Australia Day uh, ceremonies than men. What do you take of that? I think that's really great news because you can't be what you can't see. So I think there are so many, both sides, males and females doing great things. But the fact that we're starting to highlight that women can do things, and I've often had people come up to me and say, the fact that I took the farm on on my own has now allowed them to have the confidence to let their daughters come in and take it on their own. So I think it's really important that we do have a diversity of everything that is awarded so that other people can aspire for that as well. So what's next? (laughs) You never know what's around the corner, do you? Since I retired from Food and Fibre, it was a volunteer role and it was quite full on. So I'm sort of just taking a bit of breathing space at the moment, getting feel like I'm getting my life back in order. 
but there are opportunities in the pipeline that um, in the agricultural industry that will become apparent in the near future. Well, Georgina, good luck with that and I hope you enjoy a bit of rest time. Thank you for your time on the Country Hour today. Terrific and have a great day to all your listeners. Thank you, Jane. Georgina, Sarah Govins there from uh, Warnable, who is also ordered, uh, given an order of the Medal of, Medal of the Order of Australia. If we head up north into New South Wales, a rural me- mental health advocate has been awarded the same medal for his service to his community. John Harper farms near Wagga Wagga in New South Wales and is the founder of Mate Helping Mate, a program for country people suffering from mental illness. In the bush, who the hell do we listen to? And often we listen to the advice or information given to us by our peers, our our mates. The philosophy, I suppose, comes back to the fact that mates, we understand mates subconsciously as people who will share and care about you in the good times, but they also definitely care about you in the bad times. I suppose it all just revolves around that. And as I said, it's interesting that our mates and people within our community do have a lot of wisdom and knowledge in regards to getting through life's challenges, whether they're physical or mental. How did you actually come to be involved in mental health advocacy? (laughs) Because I got bit on the, pardon the language, arsed by the black dog. Most things, I think, in the bush and rural Australia, we learn from experience. I think somebody said that the best teacher is your last mistake. So I got bit by depression and everything else and more by good luck than good management, I came through it. And upon reflection, I realised that it was mates that saved me. And mates included my wife, you know, who many people don't think of as your best mate, but they are. But like the footy club in Tamora. So I'm sitting there in depression because I'd retired from shearing and thought I'm a useless piece of whatever and of no value. And then, of course, my wife valued me and my kids valued me, but that was really hard. But then the Tamora Rugby Club came down and asked me to be involved with coaching and mentoring teams and coaches and stuff. Well, of course, well, it wasn't of course I jumped at it, but I did. I got off me bum and did that, and that was one of the best things that I ever did. So I got on top of my stuff and doing it and being involved in football and running and all the good things that build up your mental well-being again until I had, uh, you know, a wife of a friend of mine pull me up one day and just said about a husband and I realised he was struggling big time, you know, and I couldn't understand it. And she said, it's all right for you, you're running off playing footy and doing all this stuff. So then I realised I could help this fella. That was OAM recipient and Riverina farmer John Harper speaking there with Lucas Forbes. A very big congratulations to all of our rural champions who have been uh, given Australia Day honours today. Thank you very much for joining me on the Country Hour this week. I've really enjoyed your company. Fiona Broom will be back in the chair on Monday and I'll be back from Tuesday. Have a great Friday afternoon and weekend. We'll chat next week. It's one o'clock.